Hey guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. I actually almost just said I was Stephanie accidentally, not even like intentionally, like I normally do. I said I'm Lindsay and I thought I said I'm Stephanie. I was like, oh, fuck. Um, Usually you say that as a joke. I know. And I, I almost did it like unintentionally. Um, so we're going to skip the normal um, binge watch update this week because we have a special guest on. Yes. So um, what we like to do is when we have a guest on, we like to add, we have four questions we ask everybody and we've had to answer them like a hundred times ourselves because we always have to give examples and we give very poor examples. So uh, tell us your name, uh, your favorite beer, your favorite piece of pop culture and a weird fact about you. Okay. Um, so I'm Chris. Um, favorite beer. Favorite beer is super hard and I think... With what I'm trying to do beer-wise, it would be unfair for me to choose a, per- a favorite beer. Um, I'm, like, very much a situational beer drinker, like, mm-hmm. temperature, activity, whatever. So, like, I've been drinking with how hot it's been, a lot of Gozas, Kettle Sours, stuff like that. Um, if I had to pick, like, a beer, now that you got me thinking about the Bay Area, um, I'd maybe go Racer 5, like, thrown back to, like, kind of a nostalgia early IPA for me that, like, I was super, super into for many, many years. Okay. Racer 5 is always good. Yeah. I don't think I've had it for years, so don't don't hold me to that, but for a long time, it was <laughs> my favorite beer. Um, what's next? Pop culture? Uh, favorite piece of pop culture, yeah. So it could be anything that you think is tied to pop culture, like any piece of it, whatever you interpret that to mean. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for, like, anything 80s. So it could be, like, stuff from the 80s. I love just ridiculous, super synthy pop 80s music um but i also really love like 80s remake stuff so like stranger things and glow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like shows like that i'm all about so like really anything 80s is kind of like my my pop culture go-to what's uh so the next question is what is a weird fact uh weird fact (sighs) yeah this one's uh That's maybe not weird. I have three passports, which is, like, kind of random. Um, My mom is French. My dad's Canadian. And I was born in the U.S. when they both had their green cards. So I have three passports. Are you allowed to have three? I don't know, but I do. Because I have two. And I've been curious about if I, like, become a citizen here, if I can have three or if I have to give one of them away. Like, give one up. I don't know how it works, I won't but I have one. I have three passports, and I haven't had. To... Are they all valid? Yeah, they're all. Yeah. Okay. Um, we won't tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it under wraps. It's like very secret yeah. agent. Shout out to that. Joe Biden. Don't come <laughs> after Chris. <laughs> he obviously doesn't listen to this. You never know. You never know. We we give we gave shout out to Netflix like a hundred times <laughs> one episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so um, I guess Chris, you didn't actually say what you do. That probably oh. would have been an interesting <laughs> thing. To yeah. Actually, I think that's no. I think that's a good segue into the beer segment. Yeah, that's where I was going to go into the different beer. than normally for the beer segment. Yeah. So, um, Chris, if you want to talk about what you do, and then kind of intro, we'll we'll intro what we're doing for the beer based on yeah. that, which I think will lead itself into it. Cool. It'll lead into itself. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so. Um, I am the founder of Primary Colors, um, which is essentially what we're trying to do is create a more personalized and engaging craft beer experience through blending. Um, And literally what I mean is taking different beer styles, some seemingly totally random, and literally blending them together in a glass to kind of come up with interesting flavors. Um, I think one part of it I really like and what really drives me is this idea of being able to personalize beers for people's tastes. So when I'm really craving something specific, you can't always find it in a tap room. You can't always find it on draft. And so this idea of being able to create beers kind of on the spot that fit people's needs in the moment is really one of the big things I'm trying to do. And then also just creating a more engaging experience by allowing people to blend beers themselves and kind of explore different flavors and find beers that really work for them. Yeah, it's a super cool idea because like Stephanie and I, I feel like we often want the beer experience to be more engaging um, and collaborative. Like we'll always make each other try the beers that we're having. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of like along the same vein of that where like you try a blend or you make a blend and like everyone tries it. So definitely a cool idea. Um, So with that um, intro, we are for this episode, um, instead of doing like a beer tasting, we're doing like a live beer blending yeah. um, of the primary colors. So, Chris, do you want to walk us through what each color is um, and what style they are? And sure. then uh, maybe like lead us through the blending. Okay, cool. Yeah, so uh, going, so I guess in order of how I'd recommend tasting it, the yellow can is a hazy IPA. Uh, hopped with Citra, Mosaic, and Galaxy. And do you recommend trying them on the yeah, own first? Yeah, it, it, it's good to kind of get a sense of like what the beers okay. are all about. Um, and so, you know, I'll typically just pour like an ounce or so. Okay, so that's like really nice because it's not like an in-your-face punchy IPA. It's a very like mild, mellow. Yeah. Where you get like a punch of hops, but it's not like super juicy, super hoppy, super musky or anything like that. It's just like a good, a good IPA. Yeah. And, and a, a lot of times kind of what I'm going for is more drinkability than anything. Like I like, I like the way that hazies have kind of reintroduced how people use and experience hops. So like I grew up on the West Coast, super, super bitter IPAs. I like having a little bit of bitterness still, um, but I like kind of having some fruit and some more character on sort of the back end with hops. And so this is kind of like, I don't know, my representation of sort of a clean go-to, easy drinking IPA. Okay. Um, the... I think it smells more bitter. I, when you smell it, it smells a lot hoppier, and then you drink it, and you're like, oh, it's actually really easy to drink. Yeah. It smells, like, juicier, too. It smells very good. Yeah. And, th- and that's, and 
I'll talk about this a little bit more with the blending, but one of the things I like about hazies kind of as a blender is you get a lot of that aroma and the hops I think can play well, really well with different yeast, different malt without kind of overpowering it being too bitter. Um, so jumping over to the red can, we have a French saison. I'm excited for this one because I think the first time I tried primary colors, I don't think this is one of the beers. Yeah, so this yeah, is, I, yeah, this one's different. I did that tasting with you and I don't think it was the same either. Which we will ask about at some point. Oh, I, I like, I nice like this one a lot. Yeah. I've like recently found myself liking Saison's more, and this has like that like grassy, all, like earthiness yeah. that Saison's typically have, but again, like not overwhelming, not like anything. It's like the style, but a dr- like, like you mentioned, like a drinkable version of the style where it's not like super Saison y. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like a, a cleaner interpretation. Um, you know, it's not using like spontaneously it's not spontaneously fermented Mm -hmm. uh it's a super dry finish so like it doesn't there's sweetness to the yeast but like it doesn't linger too much it kind of like crisp and go and um yeah it's it's a good it's it's like a i love it in the spring i think it like works well in the summer too um but i also like some of the character of of that French saison yeast, I think it plays well with with some of the other styles too. Yeah, I think if like someone, what I think is interesting about at least the two that we've had so far is that IPAs and saisons can be like kind of polarizing, mm-hmm. um, and like people may not like them in general for like either being too bitter or too hoppy or like too straw like, too yeasty, yep. too malty. Um, on the other end, and I think what's really interesting is that you found a way to do these two styles in a way that's like very drinkable to like a person that oh, yeah. may not even like that style yeah um and it's it's very easy to drink and it's not like i i only had it, i don't know how to explain it but it's it's really cool that you've done that with these yeah like, and what i kind of i mean sort of my approach with a lot of the beers i make is going with kind of more cleaner approachable styles and building character through the blending so you're able to kind of venture off into different directions depending on the other beers that you mix with kind of like these more approachable styles mm-hmm. um so with that we can jump to the blue can which is a little bit funkier uh this is a blueberry berliner weiss um and this is so it's partly it's mostly fermented out and then add a ton of blueberries. So you get a little bit of the blueberry fruit, but it also ferments a little bit. So it almost gives it some kind of wine-like characteristics. The color is fantastic. Yeah, the color is gorgeous. I spilled some of my carpet, so. Oops, I probably Oops. should have given better heads up. No, no. No, no, that's on me because I can't pour into a can, into a glass. Yeah, color is definitely something I want to play around with more. Um, just you know, with the namesake, I feel like you can yeah. kind of create so many different levels of color just using different fruit and different um, 
different malt, things like that. So I like that it's not as strong. Like I really, so just as a fair statement, I'm not a blueberry fan. Yeah. But this to me doesn't taste like straight up blueberry, which I was a little like, oh no, it's blueberry. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's not. I think really... that blueberry is not just like a tartness. Like it, yeah. it's a sweet, it's like a sweeter finish to the tartness that like a Berliner Weiss has. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that this isn't super tart either. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, again, kind of going back to a more approachable version of the style. Um, like, yeah. in general, my kind of ethos is, like, being very approachable, like, wanting to be able to mm-hmm. create beers that anybody can and wants to drink. And so, like, we can go more basic entry level on like the base beers and then through the blending you can create something more crazy and funky so yeah um with that yeah i like in my head i'm thinking like these are just kind of like gateway beers (laughs) to the style um which and i think it's really cool that you picked like two styles that aren't like super widely brewed Mm -hmm. um and then like the ipa that is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, and as i kind of like think about you know, this mix pack in general. Um, I like having kind of different flavor profiles you can play around with. Like, I think that a little bit of acidity can add a lot to a lot of different beer styles. So I like kind of having a Goza, Berliner Weiss, um, other kind of kettle sours in the mix. And then Mm -hmm. like with the Saison playing around with different yeast strains, I think there's so many different flavor combinations you can get in standalone beers and then blend together that you wouldn't be able to get trying to make a single beer. Um, so that you guys want to jump into a blend? Let's do yeah, it. Absolutely. I'm very excited for this. So cool. <laughs> um, so do you guys, would you guys rather start with the hazy or the saison? Um, I mean, up to you. I think lead okay. us however yeah. best. So let's let's go. Um, Take us on a journey. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> uh, we'll go like we'll start off with a two thirds hazy, one third um, Berliner mix. Okay. To get things started, and so with with the the way this is intended, the glass so. For those of you at home who are listening in, um, we have a primary colors tasting glass and there are shapes and colors to kind of show um, essentially different proportions on the glass so you can kind of create your own blend. So to the bottom of the red is an ounce, to the bottom of the yellow is another ounce, bottom of the blue is another ounce, top of the blue is another ounce. So you can kind of play around with like two thirds, one third, quarter three quarters and sort of go from there and it just gives you like a little bit of a way to kind of better eyeball it um, okay so we're doing what was yeah the so, I, so i would go hazy up to the top of the red and then finish it with the berliner to the top of the yellow i really like that you have that you've like been so intentional with the artwork on the can or on the um the glass because that helps a lot. I feel like when Steph and I did this in the past, um, we were like, that looks like about 50%. Yeah. Well, we also used beakers to try and measure it. 
for a while, and then we just kind of gave up because that was a lot of work. Well, what's what's funny is like there's so many different ways that I've come across people measuring this. Like when I first started off, I was doing it just with a measuring cup. I've talked to people who literally weigh it with a scale, like what they would measure <laughs> coffee beans with, and I had never even yeah. thought of that. Um, no, oh, no. You can't weigh weights. You can't weigh liquids like that. <laughs> it doesn't work the same. I mean, I guess it does. I mean, you're just trying to use really a ratio. Yeah but... But yeah, yeah, but you're assuming they all have the same density. Yeah. Listen, Lindsay, it's to guesstimate a beer blend. I'm just saying. If you're taking out a scale and you're trying to be that accurate, it's not that accurate. <laughs> That's really nice. It... Like, it loses some of the tartness from the Berliner Weiss, but it, like, gains, um, like, that hoppy quality. I also get a little bit of that juicy flavor from the Hazy yeah. IPA in this one. I mean, yeah. it, uh, it is obviously, you know, like, the majority of this blend, but... Yeah, it gets more of, like, a really fruity well. characteristic. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what I like about this blend is it... I think the, the blueberry and, like, a little bit of acidity just kind of makes some of those like tropical notes of the hazy pop a little bit more so it just adds kind of like another layer of of complexity to it um Mm -hmm. and just you know it's a tasty drinkable beer yeah absolutely yeah it is like i buy that beer oh yeah this is this is awesome (laughs) love it um that's really nice and yeah like another thing i'll do with this and you know again i don't want to take up all of your time going through a bunch of blends but one thing that sometimes is fun to do is you know we'll go you know we just did two-thirds one-third hazy berliner um tasting that side by side with like the inverse so going two-thirds berliner one-third hazy everybody so like i've done a bunch of virtual tastings with this and Without fail, everybody's got different favorites. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm sure. So. <clears throat> While we're, like, thinking about it, so how, because I, I was going to bring that up at some point, but can you tell us, like, what your experience has been, like, doing those virtual tastings and, like, how people have received that? Because I feel like, I mean, you do them in pretty small batches from what I've seen on, like, Instagram and whatnot. Yeah. So how has that just been going in general? Uh, it's been really fun. I mean, covid you know, it's a pretty lonely, weird time to try and start something that obviously yeah. needs people to consume. It's not like software or Zoom or whatever. Like, I need people to drink the beers. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard to get people's reactions. So, like, being able to do these tasting events has been super cool just to get live feedback from people. Um, and the reception's been been super positive like it's it's always cool to see people arguing over like what their favorite blend is like oh no (laughs) no you gotta go more saison like i love how this interacts with it and i think what i love about that is it just kind of proves that like there's no right beer it's just like finding the right beer for the right person um and that's what i really like about this is you can tailor beers to what people are looking to drink. Um, so, so the virtual events have been super cool, just like getting people together, seeing faces and kind of seeing people react to the beer. So 
Um, I haven't done one in a while just because I've been crazy busy and with the whole world opening back up, which, which is great. There's been a little less interest in doing virtual events, which I totally get. And it's totally fair. Yeah. <clears throat> think I totally get people like, yeah, even from your end, I'm sure you're tired of being like, you're like, okay, I got to go out. Yeah. I got to leave the apartment. I got to go do something yeah. that's not here. Let's go with, um, let's go with two thirds saison, one third Berliner. Kind of keep on that same, just to kind of see like the difference in how they interact. So saison uh, to the top of the red, and then finish with the Berliner to the top of the yellow. So the one thing I like about this French Cezanne that you do is it reminds me a lot of one of my like favorite beers from when I go on my annual beer trip to Denver. So um, Ratio Brewing okay. does a uh, French Cezanne called Dear You, which is, an, which is inspired by the Jawbreaker song. And I did not know that until I was there this year. And some, I, someone was like, oh, you know, it's like a Jawbreaker reference, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I did. And then the guy walks away. And my boyfriend looks at me and he goes, you didn't know that. Like, no, <laughs> no, I did it. But I'm not going to say No, but you got to save face. Um, okay. So as we taste this, do you have like a favorite one of the mixers that you tend to gravitate towards using more of or uh, liking the flavor profile of more? Um, you mean like a specific... Which which of these colors? Do which you like which best? color do I like best within it, this, it, particular within this particular batch? Within this batch, yeah. Again, it's really hard for me to play favorites. Um, <laughs> I I tend to gravitate. Yeah, I, I tend to gravitate towards in general hazies. Um, I I like really appreciate. Belgian saison yeasts and I've come to like those a lot more but I think like in this I think I've had a hazy in every batch I've done because I think I think it works well with a lot of styles and I think it's because the way that hazies utilize hops um and so the hazy to me I think is like a really good beer that I think can bring together a lot of different styles and I think the flavor so, of the hazy is like mellow enough where it also blends well with the others. Yeah. But then again, like this blended extremely well together too. So for like using the blueberry again with a different, you know, like two thirds base, mm-hmm. it still is excellent. What I think is really interesting is that like when we were tasting these individually, I felt like the blueberry had the strongest flavor out of all mm-hmm. of them. But when we mix the blueberry into these other styles, it, like, doesn't sit at the forefront. And it may be because of, like, the ratios that we're doing. But I always expect to taste, like, more of the blueberry than, like, comes across. And I think it's really impressive that, like, these, the, uh, like, the, um, the Saison has, like, a good, like, fighting chance against, like, something that's so strong. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, like, Sometimes when you blend beers together, they will do not at all what you're expecting. So um, I've come to notice that sour beers can sometimes bring out more bitterness from the hops of IPAs and others. 
so like I've had blends that were more bitter with less a lower proportion of the IPA. So it's like adding more IPA actually made it less bitter because of the way that like the acidity of uh, the Berliner like interacted with the hops. So I try to be very intentional with like how I think about the flavors before I make the beers. But a lot of times you're just totally surprised by what ends up actually happening. Like I always have like, this is what my hypothesis is of like what this blend will taste like. And a lot of the time I'll be completely wrong. Which I think is like an interesting point because obviously like you can brew with as much intention for like a specific flavor, but the actual experience and like the way like things taste with like taste buds and the molecular nature of things like is just, it's wild how different they can be from like what you expect and what you're intending for. Totally. Um, this kind of brings us into like, at least a question that I have is, um, have you left any flavors on like the cutting floor because they didn't blend well after experience, after like experimenting with the blending? Um, and then have you had any flavors that like blended so well that you, like, you were not expecting to do well? Yeah. So I would say like ones I've left behind sometimes like if a style is too similar, you just, there's not enough kind of definition when you blend them together. And sometimes that also happens with like certain ratios. So I, I tend to avoid like 50, 50 blends. Cause I feel like, and that would be kind of naturally like where people would go is like, Oh, let's go 50, yeah. 50. Um, but I feel like a lot of times when you go 50, 50, you lose some of the nuance of the two different beers on their own. So I kind of like one, one beer to dominate a little bit more and have the other beer kind of accentuate the flavors. And sometimes I feel like when you go 50, 50, it's just like a little bit too muddled. Um, but I, ha I haven't had, I haven't had like, Oh, we can never blend this beer style with this mm -hmm. other beer style, at least not yet. There's still a lot of blends that I have not um, experimented with. On that note, one that like I was not expecting to work, and this is like one of those, sometimes you just kind of have to say fuck it and blend stuff that you think is just not going to work. Uh, mm -hmm. Perfect example being Porter with a Goza. And... Yeah, that does sound that does sound odd on the surface. And like, so I get it. There's such, and again, my porter is a more approachable porter. It's not like crazy, crazy roasty, but like it, it's a very full flavored porter. Um, and this is one where like fifty fifty works, but like there's such drastically different flavor profiles. It just somehow works, and you kind of get like. I don't even know how to describe it. You get this like roller coaster of flavor, which is just <laughs> super fun. Um, and that's when I did on one of my virtual tastings. And that was like the hands down fan favorite. Uh, that's awesome. So yeah, you get like weird, weird combos at work. that just, you would never expect. How, um, I guess, so we have three styles in front of us that are, and you've, you mentioned a few other ones that you've worked on. Um, 
do they all like so we have a red yellow blue just like do these colors change out with the styles depending on like what you currently are brewing or what you're mixing and trying out um and then like for future plans like how do you plan on differentiating or like letting people know that this is the stout version or this is the porter version yeah so i think in kind of like a retail setting i like the idea of having three different styles right there in front of you that work together Mm -hmm. and i think really the goal is to play around starting first with like different seasonal variations. Um, so kind of having like a spring, summer, fall, winter edition, keeping the, uh, red, yellow, and blue, but just swapping out the styles between them. Um, longer term, I need to, to figure out kind of a, a better strategy, but like, one of the ways I kind of like to think about it is, and at least how I've approached it so far, is blue has typically been some form of a sour, so like a Berliner Weiss or a Goza, some form of acidity. Uh, red, I've typically played around mostly on like the yeast and malt front, so it's been like Belgian Pale Ales, the French Saison, uh, mm-hmm. Porter, and then... I think the yellow is, I want the focus to be more on hops. Um, So I think, you know, hazies, traditional IPAs, um, at least that's how I'm thinking about it right now is kind of like categorizing across the colors. No, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially if, like, you keep the same idea behind the colors. It makes it easier as, like, you're trying the different editions. And I love the idea of doing, like, different editions, like the summer edition. Like, in the summer when you go to the store, it's different from, like, the winter one that you may get. Mm -hmm. And that plays, I think, a lot, like, with your idea or with your um, concept that you mentioned earlier about, like, seasonality of drinking. Yeah. Um, What should we try next? Okay. Um, so let's go, just trying to like figure out, okay, let's, uh, let's go two thirds saison, one third hazy. And this is one where I get like pushback on that one versus the inverse, but. I also think it's, I'm glad you mentioned that, um, like, you like to do two-thirds and one-third versus half and half, and I think your reasoning makes a lot of sense, and that, like, splitting things half and half, you tend to, like, lose the flavor of both. Um, Because I think, like, when Stephanie and I did this, we did half and half for quite a few blends, but found that we liked, like, the 25-75s and the 33-66s. Yeah, I think you and I enjoyed the the two-thirds, one-third, and the 75-25 ratio, I think, more than we did the half and half. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we also had said, like, um, or we had thought that, like, you know, there wasn't a super strong flavor in the 50-50s, and I think Mm -hmm. that's, like, really interesting that you've also found that. Um, Have you found that, like, so, I guess... um, You've been trying to gather a lot of feedback yep. in the beginning, you know, gave the product away to see, like, to get to get feedback from people. Is that kind of the feedback that you got as well as on top of, like, what you noticed on your own? Yeah, I think, you know, having done this myself, I have a very intimate idea of, like, okay, this is how I would interact with the beers. And when you kind of first give it out to people, 
I was still trying to figure out like how people would would interact with it. And so I think yeah, for sure. like the first round of feedback I got was most people just went 50-50 across the board and didn't really play around with other variations. Um, and so with that, I kind of tried to be like a little bit more, like each round of releases, I tried to have calls, conversations with as many people as would talk to me. Um, and that was kind of a like, hey, uh, I don't want you to pay me for the beer, but it'd be really cool if you could like talk to me for a couple minutes afterwards. Um, yeah. and so like, I think the first round of feedback I got a lot on, yeah, I just tried 50, 50. Um, there were, there were some, there were some cool flavors there. I liked it. It was like, Oh, did you try any other variations? Like, Oh no, I didn't really like think to do other ratios. And so it's like, all right, so let's next go around. I'll think about with the post, like posting about some of the ratios that I like and some of the blends and like, mm-hmm putting out content around tutorials on how to blend and how to think about like different styles. Um, like w- one, one thing from the first round, like I talked to somebody who I gave beers to who I think waited like three months before they tried it because they were just like, I don't know where to start. And this just seems kind of overwhelming <laughs> which is like the last thing I, I want this to be. Like I want it to be kind of like a fun, easy to approach thing. And the big learning for me was like, I was not communicating well enough, like how to engage with this. Cause there's so many different levels of comfort for people. Some people are like, yes, I got this. I'm diving in. I'm just going to play around with it. And other people just get kind of paralyzed from not knowing where to start. So creating some, frame for people to think about like how to approach this I think is um another big learning but like each iteration of releases I've kind of learned something new and tried to adjust to it I think um that makes sense too especially with like the the literature I guess the literature that you gave us the cards it was really helpful to look through and especially having like the blends that you suggest and then the note-taking pieces Mm -hmm. of it um I think that's like a super great addition to this experience as well and just, like, having I, – I mean, you're right. Like, everyone interacts differently and um, is a different person. So, like, I know Stephanie and I would probably, like, as you get bigger, like, look for, uh, like, people mixing things online and yeah. try mm-hmm. things like that. And so, hopefully, like, as, um, like, more stuff becomes available on, like, how to how to mix and, like, what things to put together and the different ratios, yeah. like, people will experiment more. Yeah. That was actually one of the coolest things about all of this for me was just – seeing people randomly posting their favorite recipes on Instagram, like totally unexpected and super cool to see people play around with blends that I have hadn't even like, I tend to kind of stick with two beers at a time and people were like, okay, you know, uh, 20% hazy, 25% Porter and the rest Berliner Weiss and like, I haven't even tried that blend, so that's awesome <laughs> that you found that and you love it. Um, and so that that's, I think, one of the really cool things, too, is just people being able to kind of share what they've discovered. Um, and I definitely want to find a way to kind of better incorporate that going forward. What's your experience been like just, like, talking to, you know, consumers 
consumers in general like so like obviously Lindsay and i both work in research and development as like our careers like our real jobs so like what's the experience just kind of because you've been doing it all yourself like what's that experience been like for you trying to like get the feedback get hand deliver the beer to everybody you know take that into future revisions like what's that process and experience just been like for you yeah um it's been a little bit of a shit show and i'd like to like think that i'm better organized (laughs) with it but um i mean getting the feedback is honestly like one of the better parts of that whole experience during covid obviously not a lot of human interaction other than like occasional zoom hangouts with friends in faraway places and like hanging out in parks every once in a while but just being Mm -hmm. able to talk to people about beer and to hear people get excited about the experience um was definitely something that kind of kept pushing me forward and made me decide to continue to sort of push through this and do it full time and kind of take it to the next level and so um it's been it's been really cool hearing people's feedback and trying to adapt to it because I know it's not perfect and I know it's always going to be evolving and so getting people's direct feedback early has been super helpful for me. And it's really interesting because like Stephanie mentions that we work in R and D, but and we get feedback on things that we are testing out, but we never actually like have to analyze that data ourselves. Yeah. Um. And like, I guess analyze and then like relate that to something that is then changeable and um like revisionable Mm -hmm. and it's super impressive that like you take you got you you have to get that feedback then you have to turn that around into like actionable items that you can then like revise and reiterate on and um it's like similar to the process but also like way more difficult than what we have to do so like just like kudos to you for being able to like talk to people and take that feedback and then do something new. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's again, like I'm not, I'm not making this for my own personal consumption. I mean, yes, I consume a lot of it, but (laughs) I'm trying to create an experience that a lot of people like and is approachable and people can get excited about. So I don't want to be burying my head in the sand being like, Oh, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is my vision. Like this is only as good as what people think it is. And if I'm not taking people's feedback into it, like, I don't know, I'm not building the right thing. So. Um, so what has been your experience so far with like people accepting the concept? Um, and then like, I guess that's the question. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know where else to go with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, you have, there's certainly, like, beer purists out there who are like, beer should only be four ingredients. I don't want any adjuncts. I don't want any fruit, like, water, malt, yeast, hops. That's it. And I respect that. That's fine. I I think beer is a lot more versatile than that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, for each person I've talked to who is like, you shouldn't do this. This is not how beer is supposed to be consumed. I probably talked to three people who were like, this is really cool. 
Um, this is something like I play around with at my brewery and like we'll occasionally serve blends to customers. It's not like core in our brewery, but I like the concept. And what's really been cool too in Chicago is just seeing other people kind of like mixing together beers. So bottles, bottles and cans, um, is a shop not far from Mm -hmm. my apartment. And they did a post where they like cuvade two beers that they collaborated with. And somebody who did one of my tastings tagged me and he's like, Oh, primary colors know something about blending. And like, (laughs) that's awesome. So like, I've got people in my corner, uh, talking about blending but like it's also awesome seeing that other breweries other people are sharing it and like doing it because i i love that people would like play around with different blends and making the idea of like mixing beers together more accessible um so yeah, I'd say for the most part, people are are pretty cool about the idea, and you get the occasional people who are more traditionalists who, you know, they're doing their thing, and that's all good. Um, so on that topic, then, what has been your experience so far with like making a name for Primary Colors in like Chicago, which has so many like breweries? Aren't we and beers. like the brewery capital of the U.S. nowadays, or something like that? Didn't yeah, we like overtake? Like, whoever it was yeah it's like a brewery per thousand people or something like that i mean that's a made-up number but i wouldn't (laughs) be surprised um and then the other question along that was like have you noticed other breweries and beer drinkers or specifically other breweries kind of accepting of the concept i know you mentioned the bottle shops but um you know how how has been your experience like bringing your name out there and then on top of that other breweries how kind of how are they accepting of the concept yeah i mean chicago is clearly a brewery powerhouse right now there's like a ton of awesome breweries in the city doing really cool different stuff um i think where i'm kind of trying to carve out is just creating a more engaging experience and focusing on kind of the customer experience um i feel like making good beer is kind of like an expectation now and not a differentiator for breweries (laughs) yeah um And I know personally for me, like I love going to breweries, but sometimes it's like, okay, it's the same experience. You do a flight, you have some beers, you hopefully find one that you want to be drinking in the moment. That's not always the case, but you're there having a good time with friends. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, I think like I would love to open up a tap room at some point where somebody could come in and say, this is what I'm craving in the moment. I mean, it could be like, doesn't even have to be like, this is the style of beer. It could be like, you know, I would love to have like a glass of Sauvignon Blanc right now. Like, what can you make me that's feels like that? And being Mm -hmm. able to kind of take more of like a cocktail bar approach where like you could create hyper-personalized beers. um, I think it's just a, it's a, different experience and it's a different way for people to consume beer and have like a little bit more control over their beer destiny. Um, I think it's super cool because I know like I've been to those kinds of cocktail bars where they're like, there's no menu. So you have to tell us what you want and then we'll tell you what 
beverage that is. Yeah. Like, I can't think of the name right now, but there's one in Milwaukee that's, like, super famous where literally they have, like, a thousand cocktails and they make you describe what you want. And yeah. there's me who shows up and it's like, I don't know what I want. So, like, I like to have the menu aspect. Yeah. But I think it's a super, like, it's a super cool concept to be able to, like, walk in and go, I'm craving this. And then, like, the team can, like, make it for you. But then there's also, again, I, I think sometimes I'm just, like, clueless. And I'm like, I don't know what I want. I'm indecisive. So I like to have that, too. I was going to say, I think that, like, describing it and, like, likening it to more of a cocktail style makes yeah. a lot of sense. And that's not something I thought about until you just mentioned it. Um, but, like, that idea for a tap room or for, like, you know, like, any kind of experience, I think, is just is super differentiated from the current experience um, at a brewery or at a tap room where you're just Especially here thing. right now. Like, I feel like, yeah, Chicago's got some like niche kind of mixology places but it's nothing with beer so that's completely different yeah um yeah at the end of the day it's all about the experience and and two it's like the discovery like there's that portion of it and you know you could go up to the bar and say oh i don't need you to create this custom thing for me like we've got some suggestions that'll be on the board whatever um yeah but i think a big part of it is like more personalization and feeling like you're not settling for a beer like you're getting the beer that you really want to be drinking in the moment um yeah um so we're kind of touching on this i think um so along with a potential tap room and the seasonal six packs what other future plans do you have for primary color and like what other aspirations because those are slightly different from each other yeah, so the tap room is is probably longer term. Um, right mm-hmm. now, I'm talking to a brewery in Chicago about contracting out my production so that I can actually start selling into retail in Chicago. Which that would be awesome. Yeah, which is super exciting. Um, I'm hoping to kind of get that squared away in the next, I want to say week, but maybe a couple weeks. Um, wow that is like close that's really exciting yeah yeah yeah. so that that's like step one it's just like get the concept out into the world a little bit more be able to host i mean with everything opening up like i can't wait to host in-person events um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. find like avenues to like do blendings at bars and all that um so that's, that's like really right now where I'm focused is just getting the beer out there so that I'm not uh, going crazy, making a ton of beer in the kitchen, trying to package and um, just kind of focus more on getting it in front of people and focus on like better understanding the customer experience. Do you guys want to um, do another blend? I don't know yeah. where you guys are right now sure. i'm done what, what were your guys thoughts on the what was the last one two-thirds saison one-third hazy one-third hazy mm-hmm. I, I was actually surprised at like I the bitterness that came through i liked it a lot too but i was surprised at like the bitterness that came through since it wasn't that much of the hazy yeah. um it was kind of nice to have that like like almost black peppery flavor yeah yeah and that's you know it, it it's weird how like for saisons black pepper is something that tends to come up but 
mm-hmm. it's interesting how like having a little bit more hoppiness from the hazy can like unlock some of the underlying characteristics in the saison um and then i also feel like and, like no juiciness yeah like there was very yeah that one no was juiciness. very much no. on the bitter side yeah 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 cool um so we could again i'm always doing like the weight check to see how much of each we've got um so i mean we could go i mean i could leave this kind of up to you guys we could try the inverse of the hazy saison or we could go something that's like more in the uh two-thirds blueberry camp I don't know, Lindsay. What do you think? Do we not have enough for both? I mean, we we, we probably do. I we mean, have I've more got, cans we could, we could, too. We could try. We could try. Yeah, I mean, I've got I think plenty. So okay. Yeah, I I do. Too. All right. Well, let's. So do we want to do the two thirds hazy, one third saison? Yeah, let's do it for the inverse. Yeah. Since we've got the other one on our mind. So you mentioned being able to be in. Um, like store for retail what's your what's your goal for that like timeline um obviously you're still negotiations but like if you could pick a day and like be stoked to see in store what day would that be if i could be in stores by the end of july i would be super stoked holy shit that's 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 maybe maybe ambitious but um I'm like trying to get all the pieces lined up where hopefully once contracts figured out, like go, go, go. Everything's on order. Everything's like ready to, yeah. Yeah. It's funny because Stephanie and I hear that and we're like, oh no, you need like six months to go to launch. Yeah. (laughs) Our industry is so different. (laughs) Yeah. Like from locking a contract to, you know, launching. Well, I mean, I've been trying to figure out like a brewery to contract with for a long time so it's luckily you can turn over beers relatively quickly it's just finding mm-hmm. the right partner finding the right brewery that has the capacity and um can kind of bring the the vision to life so that's really where it's taken the most time and i think like now that i've got everything hopefully figured out it's just push a button and uh, get it rolling. So with kind of scaling up, um, I guess this is a two part question, but like, I know obviously with COVID there have been difficulties on the supply chain Mm -hmm. side, but post COVID we, at least Stephanie and I in our field are seeing like even more difficulties post COVID and supply chain. It's so much Um, worse than it was during peak COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, these are obviously like what eight ounce cans. Um, and in 2020, we saw, um, the death of Lil Buddy. Yep. And the death of, uh, was it St. Geron? Yep. Had several eight-ouncers that uh, went off market? Yeah, they're like, How? uh, they're stouts. Mm-hmm. They had to move back yeah. to 16-ounce cans, I think. So, with, like, all of these, like, kind of breweries moving away from an eight-ounce can due to availability and, like, the, um, the tightness of supply chain right now how what kind of difficulties have you noticed getting these eight ounces and do you like anticipate them as you scale up as well or do you have a special vendor that we should know about yeah so (laughs) this is like such a 
bummer. Like, obviously, breweries have had to deal with a lot of issues throughout COVID with the entire supply chain. Aluminum mm-hmm. has just been insane across all categories. Like, 12 ounce a bit were super hard, and 16 were super yeah. hard, and it's, like, kind of jumped all over the well, place. Well, it doesn't help that, like, one one place has the monopoly on the entire can market. That doesn't yeah. help anyone. Yeah. And just, like, raw materials are through the roof these yeah. days. Um, and so, literally, these the can manufacturers because there's so much more demand for 12 and 16 ounce cans they've essentially said we're not going to produce eight ounces again until 2022 at the earliest so i've been scrambling to try and figure out other smaller form factor options like i don't know there you some canned cocktails or like wine, they'll do eight ounce and kind of those taller. Slim... We call them a slim can yep. in the in the packaging industry. Yep. The slims and the sleeks uh, are come with a lot of their own issues. So like at the end of the day, the sad thing is that I'm probably going to have to start with twelve ounces um, when I go to market, just because that's the only thing that's going to be available to me. And I'm hoping down the road as things normalize, I'll be able to move back to a smaller form factor because I've gotten Mm -hmm. a ton of really good feedback about the eight ounce cans, like not even just for blending. I think a lot of people, there's been kind of a big move towards the 16 ounce cans, which I think is made sense for a lot of breweries economically. Um, Mm -hmm. But at least the feedback I've gotten from some people I've talked to who have tried primary colors and had the 8-ounce can is that there's a little bit of fatigue sometimes with 16-ounce cans. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, probably going to have to do 12 ounces for the first couple go-rounds and then hopefully get back to to 8. Yeah, I think it's tough because, like, Obviously, you have to do what the market dictates at this point. Yeah. And if there are not eight ounce cans that you can match your cap- or enough can- cans for your um, for your demand, you have to go to the twelve ounce. But I do I agree. Like the twelve ounce or the eight ounce is like it's really nice too because you're not opening a ton of beer yeah. at one moment. Yeah. Because um, this is what twenty four ounces versus thirty six, um, and it, it you're right. Like the sixty ounce to me can be daunting sometimes because sometimes you just want like half a beer. Yep. Um, or you want to split a beer with somebody and this is, this is a nice style and it sucks that it's the, the smaller can size is, uh, kind of being pushed to the side in favor of like the larger can sizes. Yeah. But I guess you just have to encourage people to get more friends. Make yeah, more exactly. friends. Like COVID's over, make right, more exactly. friends, this, drink more beer. This, this should be a social experience. Share it with your friends and yeah. Um, yeah. I'm all, I'm all for that. Make some more friends now yeah. that if you're vaccinated, go make some more friends. Yeah. Bring them all over. <laughs> yeah. Open up three 12 ounces. <laughs> Have you run into any issues? So, like, we've obviously heard quite a bit about, like, hop shortage in general to make beer. And that's why there's been a huge push in the industry. Like, we've seen a lot of, like, hops that are, like, super small. They're, like, the experimental mm-hmm. unnamed hops being used quite a bit just because... You can't get Citra, you can't get Galaxy, you couldn't get Mosaic. Like, everybody yeah. was out. What's the one that we're seeing a lot from New Zealand? Uh, what, There's Rewaka? the, I think Rewaka's, Rewaka's the big Rewaka. one I've Rewaka. seen a lot lately. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, I had never, strata, I had never seen I feel that. Like hop. This past year has been huge. I've seen a lot of breweries doing Strata yeah. instead of Galaxy or like with yeah. Galaxy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always hard because there's like such fluctuations year to year in the hop market, and like mm-hmm. some breweries will get big contracts where um, they'll be set for like a couple years, and then yeah, things go crazy, and they're sitting on too many hops, and so like. I think Citra was one of those hops that got kind of overproduced and then was like mm-hmm. people were sitting on a ton of inventory. Maybe it was like last year. Um, but it fluctuates, right? Because like you're dependent on availability of trucks to move hops around. You're dependent on crops. You're dependent on like what inventory people have that they're sitting on. Because like some people will sit on hops for a couple years and they'll... yeah. Some people age their hops and it's, I don't know. There's like no rhyme or reason to it. I think it gets a lot harder to, I don't know. I think it's probably the hardest if you're kind of in the middle um, size wise. When you're really big, you plan all that stuff ahead. You get really good pricing. If you're really small, you don't get great pricing, but you probably have the flexibility to like find Mm -hmm. hops that are like hiding in the shadows somewhere. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think at my size, I'm not crazy, crazy worried about it, but I might also just be being a little naive. (laughs) How does that affect your uh, development process too? So, you know, we're, you said, I think Galaxy and Mojica, uh, Galaxy, Mosaic and Citra. So like pretty Galaxy, Mosaic and Citra for this, um, which are all, yeah hops that have been on shortage um how has that affected your development process then have you been looking for like alternative hops that you can use kind of the same flavor profile or same um accessibility that this has yeah there i mean I, i think in general like one of the things i i want to play around with is kind of taking this hazy and using different hop profiles um Mm -hmm. so like this was kind of you know citra mosaic galaxy are pretty standard juicy go-to hops and i want to play around with other styles so on the development side i think it kind of like forces me to do that a little bit maybe faster um but it's also something that's exciting to kind of think about you know what other profiles work how to think about other flavors like um I think like that's a really cool thing to think too about how you pair it with other styles. Um, mm-hmm. There's just so many different hop aromas and flavors that I think you can really kind of tie to different yeast strains. And so you just, at the end of the day, it's just being super intentional about which hops you end up using and thinking about how they're going to play well with, um, with the other styles. Um, are there any styles then that you have not made yet that you would like to incorporate into the blending or have you like pretty much tried everything that you want to try and you have like your kind of your set? Yeah, there's always, there's always like new stuff to try, I think. And I might get, uh, I might get chastised for this, but like, I would love to play around with loggers. Um, cause I feel like 
it's kind of a very clean palette to play around to express other flavors. Um, a lot of people are like, a lager is just, you've got to make a traditional lager. And you're starting to see some more modern lagers coming around and like dry hop lagers, stuff like that. And so I think there's, I think there's a way to kind of play around with that. Like I haven't tried a lager with like a Berliner or a Goza adding some acidity to it, but I feel like there's mm-hmm. in my head, like that could be really interesting. So I think lagers are definitely one of those styles that I haven't been able to make just because they're really hard to make at home. Um, but something that I'm definitely looking to explore. So you've literally brewed all of this from your home and you've been like, how long have you been brewing out of your home? I've been home brewing for 11, yeah, like 11 years. I started in San Francisco, like right when I got out of college, I like my wife got me some homebrew class and I was just immediately hooked and just started making beer like crazy in San Francisco. I did it in like my 30 square foot kitchen in Brooklyn for three (laughs) years, which was rough uh, to say the least. We got a little bit more space here in Chicago. um, And so I've been doing it here and like, the last two years, obviously, my production has ramped up a lot as I've been trying to bring this to life. Um, so I've made many, many, many gallons of beer in my kitchen. How big is your fridge? Uh, <laughs> like two fridges? Do you, have a, do you have one specifically for brewing and then like a food fridge? I have three fridges. Oh, I was, a, and, I was joking yeah, too. <laughs> I have like uh, a big you know, normal kitchen food fridge, which also has a lot of beer in it. I've got a kegerator that I built and then I've got like just a pure keg storage fridge, um, which hopefully I won't, I don't know. I almost bought another fridge and I think my wife would have killed me. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I think I'm good on fridges for, for now. Um, and I don't know if Stephanie has any other questions, but I have at least, I just have one more. Um, and it's, well, I guess it's two. What's the name of your mascot and how did you come up with it? Pico. Um, so Pico is, is near and dear to my heart. Um, so you were taking, uh, you were taking them around the city this last week. Oh yeah. Pico was partying hard this weekend. <laughs> we were um, like really excited to see it. We're like that's such a cute idea. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, Pico was so we, my wife and I, and our 140 pound Saint Bernard uh, were driving. Is out. that the one that you used to drive? For, did you still bring the dog on deliveries? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, she, she's our secondary mascot, Minnie. Um, that's not a mini dog. I know. And I tr- Is that like a tongue in cheek name? Well, I also drive a Mini Cooper and she like sits okay. in the back of the Mini Cooper and takes up, takes the, up entire the entire back. back, but she surprisingly fits. But anyway, we were driving out to the East Coast for a wedding um, and 
on the way, I picked up my first prototype can from the packaging company. And my wife and I still argue about who came up with it and decided to put googly <laughs> googly eyes on it. Um, but Pico, halfway through the trip, ended up with googly eyes, ended up with the name Pico, which is like, a, I guess, kind of like a shortened primary color as we were trying to come up with something that worked. And he's just like... I mean, he's been through some shit. People were telling me he looks really, uh, really beat up. I assume that those were, I assume that those were like um, creative choices, like to rip his head, like the the neck of it. Off. No, so that was uh, we were like loading up um, a car when we were on the. So we we took him out to the east coast. We took him out to the west coast. Like he's been all over the place. Um, we were out on the west coast and. We were in a car that had, like, uh, it's like when you're, like, stepping into an SUV, but, like, some of them have these, like, automatic things that come out so that you can step up. And he was sitting there, and we were loading up the car, and I guess we closed the door, and it just, like, smashed him to pieces. So, like, <laughs> tried to stretch him back out, but he's... I don't know. He's He's been through some stuff. He's been through it. He's been through it. I want to see a stop motion with Pico. I feel like that would be really cute. That would be really fun. That That is definitely... definitely the, I, honestly, like, part of the benefit of having the production side uh, not be in my hands is, like, being able to play around with a little bit more of the creative. I feel like Pico stop motions definitely yeah. need to be a thing. Yeah. You should definitely um, you a marketer. Encourage. I could do it for yeah. you. I have no experience marketing, but I come up with ideas like Lindsay, that. Lindsay, are you just going to play REM and do a uh, stop motion? Oh, stand in the place where you live. <laughs> could a depressed person do this? <laughs> oh my god! I was very confused about that. I was like, I don't listen to REM. And then you know exactly what with. it is. It's the Parks, Parks and Rec. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would it could a depressed pace person make this? You should oh, definitely encourage people to like put their own googly eyes on the cans and start like yeah. the flat Stanley version. This so thing. so I for <laughs> that was like another thing. After a while, um, I think it was like around the holidays. Um, I started giving out like little bag with googly eyes in it for deliveries. That's awesome. Um, and yeah. People, people embrace Pico. I, uh, if you ever open up a, an actual tap room, I demand that Pico have like it's his own place, like his own little yes. shelf. He will, he will be fr- sure front, front and center. Um, Chris, I was going to ask. So, I know you're like obviously working getting on getting into retail. Is there like a particular store that you just like really want to see your product in that like you would get super excited to see it out there? Yeah, so like for me, as I think about the concept, like it's it's hard to describe blending on a six pack if somebody's just walking by it in retail. So I think for me, mm-hmm. my biggest fo- focus on the retail side is like trying to get in with retailers that <clears throat> like to tell stories and that are more communicative. And so like places like Bitter Pops, um, 
on like a maybe bigger scale, like Foxtrot, like mm-hmm. some kind of more digitally active retailers that are good at storytelling, um, I think is where I'm trying to focus. Like I'm going to get lost on a shelf if I try and get into Binnie's like, yeah, some someday maybe if people are more open to the concept and like understand it. But I think for me, it's really starting small and starting with retailers like that. Yeah. I mean, we, we shop 90% of the time at, like, the smaller standalone stores anyways. Yeah. Um, so I think that really covers it for the questions I had. Steph, do you have anything else? No, I think I'm good. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. This was a really fun episode. I know yeah, we've, it was a really fun experience. We've been too, trying to do this for a while, so I'm glad we finally got to make it happen. Yeah, and it was really fun to be able to mix things live and, like, taste the different flavor combinations that you can get from uh, different styles of beer. Um, so before we go, do you have anything that you would like to plug for the brewery, for primary colors, anything that you're working on? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having, having me on. Um, this was super fun and it's always like cool sharing, blending with people. Um, I know you guys have tried it before, but like seeing the live reactions is always cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like follow me on Instagram, primary colors brewing is probably the best way to kind of keep in touch um and fingers crossed you'll be able to find us in retail shops in the next couple months so keep your eyes peeled follow us on instagram it'll go out there first so um yeah keep following and we will um in our description and then our on our instagram we'll link all of that um so the description if you just look at it you'll see primary colors handles website etc cool. um and then you can go to our instagram check them out awesome so if you enjoyed listening to this episode which we hope you did please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and give us a five star rating or please write us a review if you write us a review we'll read it on air we say that every episode no one ever writes us a review so if you write us a review we will read it on air If you're not totally comfortable leaving us a written review, please reach out to us on social media. We love to interact with you guys. So um, if you listen through the song, you will hear all of our social media handles. Talk to us. We'll talk back. And with that, we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. All right, that was the episode. So we love hearing from you. Um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is Drunk and Uncultured. And our Twitter is Drunk Uncultured. No and. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Lindsay Sold Out. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.